You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the first Weed Smart Podcast for 2019. I'm joined by my co-host Peter Newman. And today on the podcast, we're going to be finding out about how harvest went. In particular, we're going to be finding out how weed seed impact mills fared over the harvest period. So we're going to be chatting with Nick Berry from Seed Terminator and Devon Gilmore from IHSD and getting a bit of an overview and recap on how things went for them. And then later on in the program, we're going to be chatting with Catherine Borger and she's going to be telling us all about the effects of lime and how that can improve your crop weed competition. So we'll be finding out a bit about that too. But first of all, how are you going, Pete? Yeah, very well, Jason. How are you? I'm really good. Finally starting to get back into the swing of work. So, we've yeah, we've had a pretty long holiday period uh, over the Christmas period and then, yeah, February starts to ramp up again. How are you going? Yeah, very well. Yeah, just a uh, short break for me this Christmas, uh, but really good one just in Perth. And, yeah, like you say, we probably keep the communications uh, at, at bay over January, don't we? So yeah. we're not sort of trying to communicate to farmers. Well, hopefully they're getting a break. Yeah, what about yourself, Jess? Did you get some time off somewhere? We didn't go anywhere this year, but we did go to the beach a lot. And so Oliver, the Aussie Shepherd, he's eight months old now and he's starting to get used to the beach, which is really nice. So getting more confident with getting out in the water and um, yeah, uh, a switch flicked overnight. Took him, we were taking him regularly to the river and the beach and then we took him to the river one, one day over the holidays and threw a stick in the water and he just went out so far and he brought this huge stick back to shore and yep. he just loved it. He turned into a water dog. So Excellent. very exciting. Yeah, be did careful what you wish for. <laughs> get him out now. <laughs> did you do anything interesting in Perth? No, it was really just the same, really. Perth, bit of beach, lots of family time, nothing too crazy. Uh, but we've had some nice beach weather up here. We've had some crazy wind in Geraldton as well. So uh, with a bit of beach weather thrown in. And um, But yeah, no, everything's going well here for me. Yeah, because Geraldton's one of the windiest places in the world, isn't it? I reckon it might be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know exactly the stats, but in summer it does uh, blow the feathers off the chooks, that's for sure. Yeah. But uh, no, I take advantage of that. I do a bit of kite surfing. I used to windsurf, now I kite surf, and that's been really good too. So I've been enjoying a bit of that. Yeah, awesome. I've only been to Geraldton once, but when I did go, people, the locals told me that a lot. They said, it's the windiest place in the world, and I thought, is it? But yeah, maybe that's true. Yeah, <laughs> everywhere has its dodgy weather for us. It, it's the windy season, but yeah. our winters are beautiful. So yeah, we stick it out through the windy season and yeah, hang out for those milder conditions other times of the year. Yeah, cool. Now, we've had a really um, quite a successful harvest over in Western Australia. Obviously, there's been drought conditions in other parts of the country, which, um, yeah, we empathise with. It's obviously awful. But we are going to be focusing on how the weed seed impact mills went over harvest. Pete, what's your perspective on, on how harvest went this year? Yeah, well, the ducks really lined up for most of the WA farmers, at least anyway, Jess, with uh, really good yields and really good prices. On the back of not huge rain, but it was just well-timed rain for 2018 for us. Unfortunately, not the case for lots of the rest of the country, so hopefully their turn uh, comes around uh, this year with uh, much better growing conditions, but we just have to wait and see, I guess. But yeah, harvest was really great, and I've sort of been... You know, when you're involved in this, like I have been for so long and others, you're sort of waiting for that year when you go, okay, these seed impact mills 
finally, they are reliable, cost-effective, go-for-it guys. They're ready to go. And we sort of thought we were there two or three times, and I think this year we can finally say we're there. We've got good, reliable machines developed in Australia that, uh, and, and two, or two or more to choose from, so it's great, Jess. Yeah, it's very exciting. And we're going to be hearing from both Nick Berry from Sea Terminator and Devon Gilmore from Macintosh, who's obviously representing IHSD. And what's your perspective on how both machines fared over, over the harvest period? Well, it was two different stories. I mean, Sea Terminator were sort of business as usual, rolling out more machines. And what I've heard from them is that they have had a good year in terms of the reliability of their machines. So improved on their wearing, improved their throughput, reduced their horsepower a bit and had good runs with gearboxes and all those sorts of things. I'm sure there were some issues somewhere, but in general, they did they did really well. I guess power requirement for both machines, something that has caught a few people out. You know, a few people haven't had quite enough power to drive them. HSD was a different story. They really were just trying to have a good season after a very tough 2017 where where the hydraulic mills uh, were breaking. They did lots of retrofitting to hydraulic mills, wanted to get them right, and they did. And then their uh, prototypes of the vertical HSD that went well. So probably a quieter year for IHSD in terms of the number of new machines. But, yeah, really successful year for both of them, Jess. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, shall we get into it and hear from Sea Terminator Research and Development Director Nick Berry to see how the Sea Terminator went? Sounds like a good idea. Let's take a listen. Today on the podcast, we're chatting with Dr. Nick Berry. He's the Seed Terminator Research and Development Director, and we're going to be finding out about how the Seed Terminator went over the 2018 harvest, and also what's in the pipeline for the Seed Terminator going forward. But first of all, how are you going, Nick? Going very well, thanks, Jeff. Thanks very much. I imagine you're really busy, uh, lots going on for you. Uh, we haven't had you on the podcast before. Can you just firstly give us a bit of background on yourself and uh, the Seed Terminator? Sure. Yeah, so I'm from Kangaroo Island. I um, grew up here on a grain farm and uh, I've spent 11 years in Adelaide doing mechanical engineering and then a PhD on mechanically devitalising wheat seeds at harvest. And then from there I actually moved back to Kangaroo Island to go farming for a little while and then started the seed terminator journey after a bit of a whack in the head side of the moment to uh, develop some new technology for killing wheat seeds at harvest. Yeah, great. I've always wanted to go to Kangaroo Island. That's not all that I took out of your spiel there, but I, I will have to get over there. Tell us a little bit more about the Seed Terminator and, and what it does. So the Seed Terminator is a, uh, a multi-stage hammer mill that's mechanically driven. So basically it's a device that's three stages of, of grinding, crushing, impact or shear to break the material that's going through it down into a size that allows it to pass through a, a screen. So, so basically it's going through three stages of size reduction, if you like, and at the output is a, is weed seeds that are devitalised based on their size. Um, and it's it's mounted to grain harvesters. We're actually mounted to, to five different major brands now, John Deere, Case, New Holland, Massey Ferguson and Class. And then it's uh, mechanically driven off of, off of the machine and spreads the material back evenly on the ground. Yeah, cool. So let's get into the details of how the 2018 harvest went. How did the harvest go with those people who were using the seed terminator? Yeah, sure. So we actually had just over 80 machines operating this harvest. So we started off with nine machines in 2016 harvest, 
and um, then we, we ramped that up to 32 machines, including the night, and then uh, another about 50 this last year to, to make it just over 80. And the machines, as each year we've actually upgraded the machines so that they're running the, the same year model technology. So all machines, bar one, were actually running model year 18 equipment. And we had a, we had a really positive harvest. You um, are always very nervous at the start yeah. of harvest, thinking I'm going to be running around chasing issues. And, and you know, we... I guess we're humble in where we're at as a business, so these we still call those machines prototypes, and we developed a farmer to seed terminator partnership, a research farmer partnership, so that you know we can still learn and and work with the farmers to create the solution on their farm. And uh, yeah, like we had a we had a really positive harvest. There was definitely plenty of issues we encountered, and and did our best to solve those issues during harvest, and and then we also have our continuous improvement program to make 2019 even better. Yeah, great. So what were some of the things that you had to address over harvest? You mentioned there were a couple of issues. I think there's someone to do with that capacity issues. Is that the main thing that was sort of trouble for some people? I guess it's not so much capacity, but in certain conditions and harvester setups, there's smaller harvesters who struggle to, to keep up with the Terminator. And that's just a, that's just a reality of what we're trying to do. You can't take you know, basically four B-doubles worth of wheat chaff an hour going through the device and try and kill these tiny seeds and um, kill 97 plus percent without taking a huge amount of power. It's just a, a fundamental energy equation which I developed as part of my PhD and you need to be using power and you need to be using fuel and you need to be wearing out steel otherwise you're not killing seeds. So that's just one of those sort of you know, understanding pieces and you know sometimes People have to make decisions about you know, switching off if there's no weeds in the paddock and, and they need to get through harvest. So we certainly had some really big crops this year that were you know, beyond what, uh, or well beyond the average of the growers and, and the harvest capacity was a, was a limiting factor for some of them. But I think it was only uh, three machines that turned off for a part of harvest out of the 80. So it's also a statistics thing too. You have 80 machines, you've you actually get a spectrum of different, I guess, situations where uh, what limiting factor, I guess. Some people would, would slow down so much to, to make sure they get every last little seed. They'll be cutting it right off at the ground and making sure that all of the weeds are getting out of the rotor and, and really do a good job. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where they're really struggling with harvester capacity. They've got to get their crop off. And, you know, grain was worth a fair bit this year, so you want to... Make sure you're at the top grade too. Yeah, for sure. It's all swings and roundabouts and individual decisions in that process there, isn't there? But there is some exciting things in the pipeline for Seed Terminator. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, R&D is our, is our thing. We, I guess we, we talk about not necessarily where we're at now, but our trajectory and, and where we've come from and where we're going. Like we started off with pioneering mechanical drive systems on harvesters to destroy seeds. And it was, you know, we, we bared the brunt of some early adoption stuff there basically had all sorts of trouble in 2016 and then managed to make a massive turnaround in 2017 with much improved drive lines and most farmers got through without too many issues on the drive line side and then we made some big improvements in the uh, power usage and wear this last harvest and quite a big improvement in wear uh, and power as well and uh, you know we also developed a system for the class harvester 
and um, the Massey harvester. Um, I, I think it's really part of. A lot of me said, "Don't do the Massey because it. Uh, we may never make another one." Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the other part said, "Well, you know, the reason we started this is to give give everyone a chance at using this technology." So. In the end, it was it was a great thing to be involved in, and, and we um, pushed forward with it. Yeah, great. Um, and I, I guess you know there's a whole array of other things as well. We've actually developed another mill technology as well, which uh, plugs into the existing system, so it's uh, it's ready for uh, so any seed terminators of the 80 can accept the technology. And uh, we're not 100% finished with it, but we had four machines running it for a full harvest last year and, and that's sort of moving to a different value proposition. We, we're looking at, at the moment we're killing really, really high percentages and I guess the, the lesson from harvest and you know, prior to that is that in some scenarios you actually don't need to be at, at that level. Uh, it'd be nice to be at that level all the time but, but there's you know an economic equation that says well I'm not getting all the seeds in the front and you know I'll, I want to get over the country faster so we're um, fast developing a, a uh, an alternate mill that can run in the feed terminator drive system, and you know for scenarios just like that. Yeah. Okay. That sounds really interesting. And when will the class and Massey fits be available for the seed terminator? So they're they're available uh, now. So it'll be because of you know we're really hot on to making sure that we do durability testing and you know some pretty crazy dynamics that happen on these machines. Mills spinning up over 27, 2800 RPM. Like you, you have to be really sure about how the dynamics work and how that feeds back through to the chassis of the machine. But more importantly, how that integrates with the harvester chassis. And so it will be they'll be sold as research partner farmer prototypes. So like we did last year with with the the main case John Deere and New Holland machines, just to continue that continuous improvement cycle really closely but we had we had four massive machines last year and one class machine so we'll steadily ramp up and, and not you know we won't go full bore because we don't know yet what we don't know so that's we'll be carefully stepping through that yeah great all right well thank you so much for giving us an overview of how harvest went for the seed terminator obviously very exciting technology and everyone wants to hear about it so we really appreciate you uh, giving us the time to give us that great overview thanks so much nick all right thanks for having me jess Thanks very much to Nick Berry there, Seed Terminator Research and Development Director. And Pete, it does sound like things are going pretty well for the Seed Terminator and, yeah, obviously just those capacity issues for some farmers are cropping up. Yeah, Jess, I actually have to present about the Terminator and the HSD at an update in Mullawa soon, so I've been calling some growers to find out how they went. And certainly there are growers that said, look, we did end up taking off our, our Terminator because we had capacity issues but they were still pretty positive they were saying that it was going well and it was reliable particularly in their cereals but they really just couldn't afford a, a 10 to 20 percent reduction in harvest capacity this year because they had record crops and and lots of tons to get off and that they were going to be harvesting into the middle of january so even though some guys you know not everyone struggled for power some other farmers kept their terminators on for the whole of harvest but those that took it off because of the power drain they were still pretty positive they were still pretty fair and thought that in other years with more normal yields they would keep it on for the whole of harvest so yeah there's certainly an issue with 
manpower requirement, but and it was particularly tough for some growers this year because they had really good yields. Yeah, for sure. Now, we're also going to be hearing from Devin Gilmore. He's the Macintosh and Son Katani branch manager, and he's going to give us an overview of how the IHSD went. There's been a, a pretty big shift for IHSD. They were originally uh, only hydraulic, and now they've moved to mechanical. What's your overview of how the IHSD went over harvest, Pete? Yeah, well, they just had, oh, I'm not sure if it was eight or ten prototypes, Jess, but it's a great story of how the pain of 2017 with the hydraulic mills having trouble led to innovation which has led to the vertical HSD. Yeah. So a farmer um, set his own up and then Macintosh saw it and then they went and made some prototypes and I think they've done a great job of engineering a really good product really quickly uh, and having a good run in their first harvest with I think eight or ten prototype machines. So yeah, really impressive, Jess. It really throws the cat amongst the pigeons because it's a simpler machine, it's mechanical, it's cheaper, and uh, things like having the the stone trap and the ability to measure harvest losses, it's all very positive, I think. It's a really good move. Yeah, it's very exciting. All right, shall we take a listen and hear from Devon Gilmore? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Today on the podcast, we're chatting with Macintosh and Son Southern Branches dealer principal, Devon Gilmore. How are you going, Devon? Good, Jess. How are you? Really good. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's the first of the year and it's been a busy harvest and so we're going to be finding out about how the IHSD went. Uh, firstly, Devon, uh, you had the hydraulic and mechanical IHSD running at this harvest. Can you just tell us what the difference between the two units is, first of all? Yeah, sure. Look, everyone's uh, probably more familiar with the hydraulic version. Uh, that's the version that has been released since 2017 and operating about 10, 12 units in 2017. And then up into, you know, the last couple of years, we've had 70, 80 uh, units operating uh, in our area. So there's uh, a number of them out there. I guess the 2018 harvest was certainly probably our best uh, harvest and, and result with regards to the reliability and performance of the hydraulic unit and whilst uh, that's the case previously to that 12 months prior to that we also worked on the mechanical version and that was born out of I guess some frustration in the first couple of years with the with the hydraulic unit that essentially drove us to looking for a more affordable reliable and uh, a cost-effective way to, to uh, still utilizing the same mill set so the hydraulic unit and also the vertical mill set Yeah, right. And so going forward, are both units, the hydraulic and mechanical, going to be available? Yes, they'll be definitely both available. Uh, We've already sold, during this last harvest through December, some additional hydraulic units. But I think, essentially, the the beauty of the mechanical system and its simplicity, its price point, and its robustness in the product build itself, will certainly, we, we expect, would lead that way significantly. But there are circumstances where the hydraulic fit has a particular fit and benefit to growers, certain size combines and whatnot. For sure. All right, well, let's dig into the details of how 2018 harvest went. Can you give us an overview of how the IHSD, both the hydraulic and mechanical, went over harvest? Yeah, so the the hydraulic units, the units we had out there went exceptionally well. We were very pleased with the updates that were done from the 2017 harvest. We identified with the Bruin Group that there were a number of key areas or points 
particularly around the bearing housing and whatnot that needed upgrading some of the cooling packages or basically the cooling packages across the, the fleet of hydraulic units out there had to be upgraded and, and relocated and we also had some uh, PSD or some other features put inside the combine to ensure complete separation of chaff and straw into the mill set which also aided as well. So pretty much across the board the hydraulic unit with also the new uh, brand new upgraded mill set themselves uh, operated and performed really really well with Definitely by far our best season with the hydraulic unit and um, all units, uh, you know, apart from a couple of units, I think there was one up north that had a couple of issues uh, and there was, uh, I think we've got one that's had a uh, breakdown, but but apart from that, across the board, very, very happy with how the hydraulic units went. And how about the mechanical units? How did they go? Uh, Exceptionally well. So the 2018 harvest was essentially uh, 12 months prior to that was the development of the new vertical mill system. The simple, it's a much simpler, cost-effective system, as I said previously, and it was the, it was an opportunity for us to get eight units out there this year where we could test varied crop types and sizes and capacity across different combines. So we had units out there from a 2003 CR970, so a very, quite an old New Holland machine, right through to the current... 10.9 with twin pitch rotor with you know up to 700 horsepower. So very very varied crop types, varied combine types across the eight units, and uh, also a John Deere 680 up at Carnama. So the John Deere was the only unit fitted this year, other than New Holland units. All the rest were, as I say, CR970 size older combines, CR9.9s, and also 10.9s. So in in big crop uh, conditions. Yeah, right. And you mentioned there that both the hydraulic and mechanical went really well. Were there any issues that popped up that you want to address that you haven't already mentioned, Devon? So the, the eight units were, were out there this year for testing. We didn't release and actually commercially release them this year on broader scale because they were. it, it was the first season for 2018 that we, we allocated the eight units to particular growers with different those different combine types that we wanted to go into sure. and different crop conditions. So that was a, it was a test year for 2018 and we were able to quickly identify and most of the listeners at the moment would identify with the fact that belt wrap on any system, whether it's a, a seed structure or even on your combine, uh, is king and that's uh, certainly something we identified within the first day or two of having some of the units on machines in the field. We obviously had machines starting, those eight units started very, very in times, uh, almost a month apart, some of them. So we had time to uh, quickly adapt that and uh, get some more belt wrapping to some places where we got some belt slip. Uh, and then that proved, you know, 15% more belt wraps made a massive difference and essentially didn't see belt slip from that point on. And the belts, we were able to loosen the belts off and be able to drive them consistently at 3,000 RPM. The ability for us to be able to run the mill set, the Harrington mill set, consistently at 3,000 RPM is not only just a seed kill, but the reason we wanted to stick with these mills in the vertical system as we had in the hydraulic unit was essentially for also capacity. And the capacity of these mills is proven. We know that they're good. We didn't want to vary away from that. We didn't want to go to a vertical mechanical drive system without taking the Harrington mill set that was proven and tested through UniSA and GRDC to, you know, and then incorporating them into the vertical system and a mechanical driver. Okay, so when will the mechanical IHSD be commercially available? 
commercially available now. As of a few weeks ago, uh, we confirmed up numbers of production uh, through the De Bruin uh, manufacturing plant in, in Mount Gambia, and uh, that's, uh, those numbers are locked in. We're looking at 100 units for 2019 harvest, and we will have pretty much most of those sold within a month or two, I would have thought, the way the, the uh, sales are going at the moment. Great. Well, thank you so much for giving us an update. People are obviously very interested in this area of technology, and we really appreciate your time, Devon. No worries, Jess. Thanks very much. Thank you very much to Devon Gilmore there, Macintosh and Sun Katanning Branch Manager, talking about how the IHSD went over harvest. Pete, it is exciting times for uh, both Sea Terminator and IHSD. What do you think the future holds for these impact mills? Yeah, well, it's great, isn't it, that we've got uh, two products on the market that farmers can choose from. There's some competition which keeps people you know, innovating and improving their products so that they can get market share. Uh, I think you know, with IHSD, with the vertical HSD, uh, they've had prototypes and they've gone really well. I think they're planning on doing 100 uh, units for this harvest. And I guess you'd have to say that once those 100 units have had a good harvest, then you get really confident that we've got that reliable machine. So let's hope that that, that happens uh, because they've had a they've had a tough couple of years uh, getting to where they are now. And so, yeah, hopefully they get a good harvest and. Uh, and yeah, we've got two products for growers to choose from, and uh, and two you know Australian-made and well-engineered products. So, and the farmers will then just choose between the products uh, based on their attributes. Yeah, definitely. It's a very exciting time. And we, when we first started talking about weed seed impact mills, they were kind of in their uh, very early beginnings. And now, obviously, like you said, they're starting to really come into their own. What's the climate out there among farmers? Are farmers, do you think that obviously those early adopters who got the machines when they first became available, um, you know, having a lot of experience with them? But, but do you think this, these uh, weed seed impact mills are going to spread throughout farming communities to those different, yeah, maybe smaller farmers? or uh, farmers who might not necessarily jump on a new product? Yeah, Jess. Well, I mean, surveys that you and I have both been involved in with WeedSmart has shown, I think, roughly about a quarter of Australian growers plan to buy a seed impact mill. That might be a slightly optimistic number, but it's a lot. We think there's about 6,000 class 8 and above headers out there on the market. So, that you know, we're talking about 1,500-odd machines in the next you know, few years needing to be produced to meet that demand from those farmers. And also in terms of the smaller machines, watch this space, there's a potentially a product coming to help farmers with class 7 and below machines. So yeah, that should be an announcement soon, I think, about that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, we'll leave it there. Harvest, yeah, has been uh, really good for, for WA and, yeah, obviously the rest of the country has been quite good in Air Peninsula, Pete, you um, mentioned. Um, but, yeah, we empathise with those who have uh, not had great conditions and hopefully that really changes um, next year. But we're going to uh, shift gears now and uh, we're going to be talking about lime and the benefits of applying lime and how that can help with crop weed competition. Can you give us a bit of an overview, Pete? Yeah, well, it's very tricky to do lime and weed research and all of the farmers for a long time have made observations that where they're liming, where they're looking after their soil health, their crop is growing better, competing better, competing with the weeds and they're getting on top of their weed problem as opposed to having acid soil, poor competitive crop and the weeds winning and the seed banks blowing out. So the farmers have sort of had that 
intuition, those observations for a long time and then the research is backing it up now, Jess. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Catherine Bordra is going to give us a really good overview on on those on that specific topic, the crop weed competition after lime. Is there anything uh, else that farmers should be aware of in terms of lime? Like, there's lots of obviously, you know, you need to be talking with your agronomist about when you should consider applying it and how to test for it. Do you have any little notes that you'd like to share before we get into the interview on that? Just that overall broad view on lime application. Oh, I think we've seen really farmers get stuck into it in recent years they've gone from putting on a ton now and then to putting on you know some farmers five or six tons per hectare over a over a period of time and incorporating it in and really fixing the uh, the acidity issues through the whole top 30 to 40 centimeters just so really I think a lot of farmers are, are on the path to doing that it gets very costly particularly if you're a long way from a good source of lime and there's potentially some alternative lime sources out on farm that that they can start looking at uh, that hopefully brings that cost down. I think the message is well and truly out there that farmers are are applying lime and doing a good job of it and they're applying more of it and they're incorporating it which is I think the way that we need to approach it. it. needs to be quite aggressive. Putting the odd ton on here and there hasn't really cut it. It's only fixed a little bit of the top top soil we really need to fix that soil acidity in that whole top 30 40 centimeters yeah for sure all right well let's hear from Catherine Borger and uh, some of her research uh, around lime and lime application I'm chatting with DPIRD research officer Catherine Borger she's going to give us an overview of how lime can help with crop weed competition and give us a bit of information on the science side for how all of that works but first of all how are you going Catherine Oh, I'm really good. How are you, Jess? Really good. Thank you so much for joining us on the Weed Smart podcast. Uh, I'd like to kick off by just asking, how can applying lime improve crop weed competition? How does it actually improve it? Well, we've been saying for a long time that improved crop competition is one of the best forms of weed control, and I stand by that. But when we say improved crop competition, we usually are referring to trials where we've increased crop density, or use narrow row spacings or change the crop orientation. And those are all great things to do to your crop. I haven't changed my mind on that. <laughs> but one of the best ways to get a competitive crop is to have a healthy crop, which is all the other things in your agronomic repertoire. It involves getting your fertilizer rates right and choice cultivar choice and applying lime if you have a soil acidity problem. Yeah, Our crop right. is going to be really uncompetitive on an acidic soil and if you add a bit of lime it will really help your crop grow bigger, have a bigger yield and suppress the weeds. We had a trial in Wongan Hills. It was started by not myself, the soils group at Deepherd, Chris Gazy in fact. He limed at Wongan Hills way back in 1994 and he applied some more lime in 98 to some of the treatments and lined again in 2014. And by now, obviously the trial's been going for over a couple of decades, and the total lime applied ranges from zero to eight and a half tons per hectare, which is quite a lot of lime. And I went in in 2018 and just had a little look at ryegrass density and ryegrass biomass. And at the start of the season, there was no ryegrass density. That was pretty common last year. We had a very dry autumn and we just weren't germinating, yeah. but the ryegrass crept up later in the season. And what we saw was that the zero treatments had plant density 
of about 30 ryegrass per metre squared. And if you go up to, let's say, six and a half tonnes of lime, the plant density gets down to five to ten plants per metre squared. And it was a fairly good linear correlation. You add more lime and you get less ryegrass. And if we look at the ryegrass by mass, that was varying from about 80 grams per metre squared down to less than 10 grams per metre squared. So over 20 years of liming had made a really big difference to the ryegrass density. Very cool. And yes, it is. Like with any crop competition story, if you put the lime on, you might not see the difference in the first year. This difference in ryegrass is 20 years of slightly more competition from the crop, so slightly lower seed set from the ryegrass, and that competitive impact, slightly lower weed seed set every year, just makes a huge difference 10 or 20 years down the track. Yeah, awesome. So Catherine, how is weed germination affected by applying lime? Well, that's a complex story. Firstly, it depends on how you apply your lime, because there's a lot of incorporation methods. You can do a full inversion, like a moorboard plough, which is excellent for weed control, as we know, and will bury just about all of your weed seeds and bury your lime quite deep too. Mm. Once your weed seeds are all buried down to sort of 30 centimetres, obviously none of those seeds coming up in the following year. Although we have this rule of thumb, if you're burying your weed seeds with mobile ploughing, you need to leave them down there for 10 years. We're getting some evidence now that you can dig them up after 10 years and a few still survive. No. In fact, I was talking to a far, well, a guy in Minganew. He was telling me about some land that had been cleared back in the 60s or 70s, decades ago. They did a soil disturbance and they got a really dense crop of wattle. It was the original wattle species that had grown there before they cleared it for farming. Wow. There were no wattles in the surrounding area because the whole area was cleared for farming. So those wattle seeds had been sitting there for decades. That's amazing. Biding the time. <laughs> Waiting for their moment. So, yes. So other forms of incorporation will bury weed seeds to different depths. For example, a one-way disc will leave about 5% of the seeds on the surface and put about 30% in the top 5 centimetres, 45% to 5 to 10 centimetres. Rotary hoe will do a similar job of spreading seeds throughout the profile. And of course, when you do seeding in the following crop, some of those weed seeds are going to be dug up again by the seeding operation and returned to the surface, and they're going to germinate. But we did a really interesting little pot trial where we had soil from Meriden and we took the top horizon, the A1 horizon, and the B1 horizon, and we took it back to Northern and carefully recreated those horizons in pots. Some pots had a nice yellow B1 horizon and a nice greyish-brown A1 horizon on the top. And in our other set of pots, we incorporated both horizons together. And then we carefully planted ryegrass, so it was all at half a centimetre, at a great depth, ready to germinate. And we found in the pots where we had incorporated, ryegrass germination was delayed, and ryegrass biomass was generally a bit lower. Right. Which is interesting, because when you incorporate, you normally find that the following crop, you might have problems with seeding depth, because your 
soil has just been incorporated and kinds might jump around a bit. So you have a problem with seeding depth and you often have a problem with even germination, which is often blamed on herbicide damage. But I think some of it is just the uneven germination of a crop from incorporated soil. You see that same uneven and delayed germination in the weed seeds, which is a problem because if they've got delayed germination, they just escaped your knockdown and your pre-seeding herbicides and they're more likely to survive in the crop. The crop should be more competitive because you've just limed, so that will help control your weeds. But you have to plan for poor weed emergence and delayed weed emergence, which will give you subsequent poor early weed control. So you probably have to plan for some kind of harvest weed seed destruction or some in-crop control. Yeah once you've got that delayed weed emergence following incorporation. Very good tip. But on the other hand, that's just one pot trial and that's an area where we could really do some more research. Yeah, sounds like it. And Catherine, different weed species have different soil pH requirements. Can you give us a little bit of background on that? Yes. Well, that's a tricky one. Weed species, like crops, have different conditions that they prefer for optimal growth. And in, say, Europe, they've tested quite a few of their species and found what conditions they like. They found that some of their thistles, black nightshade, genopodium species actually prefer alkaline soils. Some of their weed species, like wireweed, prefer more acidic soils, and some weeds will grow just about anywhere. (laughs) We don't really have that research for Australian weeds yet. We have some indication that wild radish prefers slightly acidic soils, but don't get me wrong, it will still grow in the more alkaline soils. Mm -hmm. It might just be more vigorous in the acidic soils. There's a reasonable amount of evidence that suggests that ryegrass prefers the soil conditions that are more similar to those preferred by wheat or barley, so they don't like the acidic soils. Ryegrass will like it if you lime, but that's okay because your crop will also like it and be more competitive. It will outcompete the ryegrass. But yes, that's an area where we really need more space. We have a lot of species like brome grass and barley grass where we don't know what conditions they require for optimal growth. And there's also possible we have ecotypic difference. Maybe we have ryegrass that's been growing in acidic soils for so long that it prefers acidic conditions. Mm. We do have a reasonable amount of evidence that suggests that the pre-emergent herbicides aren't reacting with the lime. So we have various trials where weeds, well, weeds either grow slightly better in acidic soils or weeds grow slightly better in lime soiled but they have reduced reduced growth due to crop competition. But we are generally fairly sure that that's just a response to either the lime or the crop competition. There's not much evidence that because the weeds are healthier, they're more responsive to the herbicides and more likely to die. So we can't see any reaction between liming healthier weeds and better kills from your preceding herbicides. Okay. And finally, Catherine, what are the benefits of incorporating lime as part of a double knock for a summer fallow weed control? Well, this season there's been a lot of very large liming programs. And obviously, if you're putting lime down and incorporating it, 
which is great because Lime's much more effective if it's incorporated. You want to do it after a bit of rain so the soil's a little bit moist and you don't end up with a massive erosion problem. It can be really effective using Lime incorporation as a double knock. Spray your weeds and then shortly after incorporate your Lime and that can do a really good job killing any survivors. It is good to spray your weeds first before the incorporation because if they haven't been hit with herbicide and the soil is still moist, a lot of them will just transplant. It's also worth remembering that a few isolated species actually really enjoy cultivation. <laughs> Button grass is a good example of a plant that you can incorporate and you'll have all these little tufts of grass that have broken off and you think, well, that's just broken off from the main plant. It doesn't have any roots on it. It's got a tiny little sprig of a root, a couple of millimetres long. That should definitely die. But if the soil moisture is still there, the button grass will go, hooray! I'm so glad to be away from my parent. I've got all this space and time, and I'm going to shoot again. Damn. Yes. Okay, great, Catherine. Thank you so much for giving us an overview. And that's, yeah, unfortunate about weeds like button grass. But thank you for giving us such a good overview on crop weed competition and how lime interacts with the farming system. We really appreciate your time and such an important topic as well. Thank you so All right. much. Always fantastic to talk to the Weed Smart crew. Thanks very much to Catherine Borger there from Deeper talking about her research around lime application and how it interacts with crop and weed competition and like you said Pete farmers were onto this and the research is definitely showing that it's the right thing to be doing. Yeah that, that's right Jess the farmer observations normally turn out to be correct and research backs it up but you know hopefully Catherine and her team are uh, adding a little bit more to those observations as well and you know I was just thinking we've got the weed smart big six soil health could just about be the, the big seven for uh, for weed smart it's so important you know, when you've got healthy soil it makes it much easier to get on top of a of a weed problem compared to you know having acid soil or other soil constraints yeah definitely well thanks very much to all the people on the podcast for the first one back for 2019 nick berry devon Gilmore, and Catherine borger we've got a big year ahead for weed smart pete we're going to be doing two weed smart events this year one in horsham for weed smart week in august and then at the end of august we're going to be heading to emerald for another weed smart event which will be um great as well pete are you excited for the year ahead yeah absolutely jess yeah the weed smart week uh, has been great over the last few years really looking forward to another one and bcg who we're teamed up with uh, in victoria have been on the front foot getting organized very early so i think that's uh, stacking up to be a really great week yeah thank you very much to bcg and we'll be revealing more information about how to get tickets in the coming months and yeah we're really excited about it but for the next podcast we're going to be catching up with a couple of farmers who used both a seed terminator and an ihsd and we're going to be hearing about their experiences so pete i look forward to hosting that one with you in a couple of weeks time but until then have a great uh have a great couple of weeks you too jess thanks very much